This episode of Tech News Day is sponsored by Mint Mobile. It's the story that simply will not go away. No longer satisfied with just owning an electric car company, a space rocket company, and a brain implant company, Elon Musk really, 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 really wants to add running a social media company to his workload for some reason, and he will not take no for an answer. So last we checked, the world's richest man had quietly bought up a very significant shareholder stake in Twitter, was offered a seat on the company's board of directors, rejected the offer because it would limit how much more of the company he'd be allowed to buy up, offered to buy the company outright and take it private, and had this offer also rejected by Twitter, who also deployed a poison pill defense, which basically makes Twitter's stock cheaper for everyone except Elon Musk. So that's that, I guess, right? What a crazy couple of weeks it's been. But we can now put it all behind us, right? No, of course not. Elon just loves having his name in the news. I mean, he really does. That's uh, It's a tactic that has worked successfully for many powerful people in the past, and it's currently working for him. Um, but just like with other powerful people, it does have very specific implications to the reality that we are forced to live in. Yeah. So like we said, uh, Elon is not taking no for an answer, specifically with this Twitter thing. And this last week increased the pressure even further by announcing on Thursday, the 21st of April, that he had secured funding hmm. to finance his $43 billion bid to buy Twitter. Hmm. Funding secured. It sounds so familiar. Yeah. Has he ever said that before? Huh. I mean, last time it was nothing, but maybe, yeah. maybe this uh, time it's something. Knowing Elon, you got to imagine this 50-year-old man was very upset that his financial team couldn't get this all finalized in time to make the announcement on 420. But alas, uh, so uh, what does this change exactly? Well, when we talked about Elon's offer last week, a big reason to be skeptical of it was that despite being the richest person in the world, scrounging up $43 billion is still pretty complicated, considering that most of Elon's fortune isn't actually liquid and is mostly tied up in his companies. Uh, It's also why you can't tax him. That man can't be taxed. Yeah, not until he cashes out. Yeah. Uh, So this latest news just shows that he's found the money to buy Twitter and that his initial offer wasn't just a stunt. He is he is serious about this. His intentions are legitimate. Here's TechCrunch breaking down what's in Elon's latest filing to the SEC. So where will all that money come from? Three major buckets, it turns out. The first tranche per the filing comes from Morgan Stanley and certain other financial institutions that have committed to provide $13 billion in financing to Musk in the form of a $6.5 billion senior secured term loan facility, a $500 million senior secured revolving facility, a $3 billion senior secured bridge loan facility, and a $3 billion senior unsecured bridge loan facility. The second bucket of cash comes from, once again, Morgan Stanley and others that have committed to provide $12.5 billion in margin loans to Musk against what we presume are his shares in Tesla and other companies. And third, an equity commitment letter from Musk to provide equity financing for the proposed transaction or the potential offers sufficient to pay all amounts payable in connection with the offer and the merger net of the above funding sources. The total value of this equity commitment from Musk is expected to be approximately $21 billion, the filing states. Never trust a lender with two first names. Morgan Stanley? Yeah. Get out of here. (laughs) Never trust anyone with two first names. Yeah. Basically, getting $43 billion is complicated even for Elon Musk, but he seems to have figured it out. And part of it involves taking money Elon has in Tesla and using that to buy Twitter, which seems dumb, but it's his money. We've got this company over here that's just been doing gangbusters for years. I'm going to take my investment in that and put it in a social media company with no real clear path to, like, 
much profitability and um, no real reason to grow beyond its current uh, status. In a world Seems where... Seems like a bad financial move, but whatever. In a world where within the past two decades of its very existence, social media as a profitable venture in any aspect has not been proven at all by yeah. any of the companies, except for Tom, who made a profit selling MySpace, but as a investable platform, no. No, yeah. News Corp lost a lot of money on that. The only way Facebook makes money is by uh, ruining the internet. And, <laughs> like, yeah. By just spying on all of its users. Yeah. Very intrusively. But the way Twitter works, that's not even really possible because it's just short posts. Again, I see this as, as Bezos buying Washington Post. Elon thinks he's going to get the same thing out of buying Twitter. Like, nobody yeah. reads newspapers anymore. They read my tweets. And I want to control the narrative. And yeah. His narrative plays out quite a bit on there. Yeah. Um, I mean, he says he's all about that free speech, but I have my doubts. Yes. But uh, still, though, he just because he's managed to scrounge up $43 billion in funding doesn't mean Twitter will accept his offer. If not, it sounds like Elon's plan might be to force Twitter's shareholders to vote on it. In either case, it's not a done deal by any means. As TechCrunch writes, recall that his offer is worth $54.20 per share in cash, valuing the company at around $43.4 billion. The serial entrepreneur's bid represents a premium to Twitter's value today, but lands far beneath the company's 52-week stock market high of $73.34 per share. Shares of Twitter traded even higher in early 2021, leaving some room for Musk's bid to be considered modest, despite its present-day premium. Yeah, so basically, for both Twitter's board and Twitter's shareholders, this offer represents a value for the company that's pretty far below what its market cap reached in just the past year. So why would you sell for what Elon is offering when there's a pretty good chance that the company's value will be significantly higher a year from now? Or well, maybe you don't less? know that. You don't, but this is like going down to the local Comic-Con. You go to that showcase or whatever action figure stand, you're like, I'd like to buy that uh, uh, Jared Leto's Joker, please. And then like six months later... It's like the movie comes out and someone's and you're like, well, this is clearly valued at five thousand dollars. But then three years later, everyone fucking hates the character. You take it back to a Comic Con and someone's like, I don't know, I'll give you uh, eight hundred bucks for it. And it's like, I mean, but this was worth five thousand dollars. Don't you remember? He sent dildos and used condoms to his cast members. It's crazy. But then he's like, OK, well, I got to put gas in my car to get home from San Diego. So I guess I will take the eight hundred dollars. It's just like that, although. It's, I, I assume the board members of Tesla probably have plenty of gasoline to go around. They don't need it. They got they just plug it right in. Also, that's why I'm saying like Twitter was at its height, I believe, during the pandemic when everyone was yeah. stuck just talking shit to each other at home to make themselves feel better. But you don't sell a company for like lower than it's been recently worth. You sell it for much higher. You sell it for what it's going to be worth like five years from now. That's the old days. That's the 2010s days. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so meanwhile, I mean, despite a pretty big leap in Twitter's stock price a few weeks back when Elon first revealed his investments in the company, the stock price has basically flatlined since then for the past two weeks as Elon has made more announcements about his intentions, about how serious he is about it. So that's interesting. Uh, if investors, like the big Wall Street investors, really thought that they'd be able to buy Twitter stock now and flip it for a guaranteed profit when Elon takes it private, uh, presumably... As soon as the stuff is inked, there would 
probably be a lot more demand for it, but there just is not. But there also isn't with under the presumption that it'll ever reach that all-time high again because it's like, oh, well, if this stock's going to bounce back, I could double my money. Yeah, well, you would think that if Elon is saying, I will pay you like a 15% markup on all your shares, you would think people would be like, oh, well, I'll take as many as you got right now because this is guaranteed to happen. And it's just not fucking happening. Yeah. The price has stayed pretty much the same for three weeks, indicating that sentiment down on Wall Street is uh, bearish about this deal, <laughs> as they say. Yeah, I mean, w- sure. It, but I, look, anything could happen. It is uh, dumb that he's buying it. I don't think anyone outside of Elon stands likes it or thinks that it will be a positive even, way to uh, run the website. But although, even investors who only think in terms of money just like aren't taking this seriously, which yeah. means it's probably not going to happen. I would love nothing more than for Elon to actually buy Twitter and completely ruin it. But I mean, honestly, like a lot of people are like, hey, you know, if Trump gets reelected, I'm moving to Canada. And if Musk buys Twitter, I'm moving to, I don't know, uh, TikTok. What? I mean, <laughs> Tumblr. It, yeah, I'm, I'm going back to Tumblr. And it's like, I don't know. I don't fucking care either way. I do think he does have the potential to actually ruin the site enough that it does make me uh, use it less. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it would be a great reason to leave. You don't need to be on there. It's probably bad to be on there. Again, best year of my life. <laughs> best. The best. Get away from it. But look, anything could happen. Uh, this deal's uh, still on the table and it's not going away. This clearly is not over until Elon says it's over. So stay tuned, I guess. Yeah, stay tuned. But speaking of rich dicks, Elon Musk might be the loudest billionaire, but there are plenty of even worse billionaires out there, like Activision Blizzard's Bobby Kotick and Facebook's Sheryl Sandberg, who apparently were in a relationship a few years back. Uh, A real power couple. So most people weren't aware of Bobby Kotick until fairly recently when it came out that he and the company that he runs are so toxic towards women employees that the government had to step in. Meanwhile, Sheryl Sandberg, Mark Zuckerberg's number two, was initially seen as a glass ceiling shattering girl boss and has gradually been revealed in scandal after scandal to be equally, if not more evil than Zuckerberg himself. And it looks like back when she and Bobby Kotick were dating, she used the news media's unhealthy reliance on the Facebook algorithm to pressure the Daily Mail to not report on her boyfriend's ex getting a restraining order taken out against him. Here's the Wall Street Journal. There are conflicting accounts about what Ms. Sandberg said and whether she directly invoked Facebook in her communications with the Mail. Mr. Kodak has told people that Ms. Sandberg threatened the Mail in 2016 by saying that such an article, if published, could damage the news organization's business relationship with Facebook, according to people familiar with his comments. People who worked closely with Ms. Sandberg at the time said a direct threat would have been out of character, but that even a phone call from her would have likely been viewed with alarm given Facebook's influence in the news business. Some executives inside Facebook assert that any intervention by Ms. Sandberg over a news article, no matter her specific words, could well be perceived as a threat given the social media giant's power over web traffic and Ms. Sandberg's power and influence, according to people with knowledge of these incidents. Now, everyone involved, of course, denies it, Uh, including even the ex-girlfriend, though the way she dropped the issue entirely a few years ago does imply that her and Bobby Kotick may have settled this whole thing privately. Uh, It's still a great uh, all-around example of how powerful people can make bad news go away. Which, circling back to Twitter and Elon Musk, it'll be very interesting if the deal does end up going through how much he'll balance his commitment to free speech with the fact that bad news about him and his companies does trend on Twitter pretty often. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, I have serious doubts that his uh, free speech absolutism uh, will persist uh, when 
you know, a video of a, a Tesla driving off a cliff and exploding uh, hits the trending page. He's going to become meme judge, meme jury, and meme executioner. I mean, he already kind of is. True. If I retweet it without attribution, it's a very funny meme. Mm-hmm. Thank no, you, everyone. Nobody creates the memes. We just find them. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, you. there's plenty of uh, coverage of Elon Musk happening right now because of the Amber Turd uh, trial and uh, Johnny Depp. Oh, yeah, I forgot he uh, dated her, like, right after she broke up with Johnny Depp. Potentially w- uh, within the same time frame. That trial, I haven't been following it too closely, but there's some really... F- uh, Johnny Depp uh, killing it on the stand, just being like, yeah, I mean, I might have done cocaine. But I wouldn't have ever carried it around in the box she said I had it in because that's how you lose your cocaine. It just it falls out and lands in the street. Yeah, all I've seen is the uh, him saying like two words and then a lawyer screaming hearsay. Yeah, hearsay. And then uh, Amber Heard's girlfriend Eve Barlow, aka Eve Fartlow, getting kicked out of. Uh, Why do they all have court names? Uh, hers is a long story. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been scandalous and. Um, you're gonna need to watch like a a five minute cut down of this because it is the most boring. Yeah, it's court super stuff boring. Ever. There's I've just read like sort of transcripts of Johnny Depp's answers about all of his like rampant drug use. But like he's like Amber Heard did seem upset when they played the audio of her like admitting hit, to hitting him. She was just like she had a real pouty face the whole time. Yeah, she seems like a fucking sociopath. Yeah, they're both crazy. Yeah. what do you what do you want? A match made in heaven. Uh huh. But speaking of Facebook, or uh, Meta, as they're now called... They would prefer if you referred to them as Meta. Yeah, don't dead name Meta, please. <laughs> yes. It's dead naming. Uh-huh. Uh, they're clearly uh, betting everything on this whole Metaverse thing, and that, of course, means selling more of those MetaQuest VR headsets, which means they need exciting new games to get people interested in buying them, because the actual Metaverse, Horizon Worlds, looks like shit. I uh, I still <laughs> haven't even like been motivated to even try that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it turns out, uh, aside from VR games, the vision of the metaverse that was presented last year is still a very long way away. At this week's MetaQuest Gaming Showcase event, a meta executive even said, quote, We think the metaverse will build on this foundation to become the next generation of the internet and the next evolution in social technology. Both the hardware and the software need more work, and it may take five to ten years to fully bring it to life. Well, I don't have that much time. The temperature outside is going to kill me now. So, uh, anyways, for now, they need people to buy those headsets. So get off your ass. Uh, they did show off some upcoming games for the MetaQuest, and some of them admittedly look pretty great. It is a shame yeah. that Facebook is involved in this product because it is a solid product. Yeah. The like, headset itself. For the last, what, like, seven years, I mean, VR is, like, a lot... In order to make VR catch on, companies are losing money on it. Um, and, but that's what needs to happen so it's like the quest 2 on the other hand on one hand i'm cool with facebook sinking a bunch of money into vr just losing money on uh paying developers to make stuff yeah but i wish it wasn't facebook the hardware is incredible i wish valve tried a little harder yeah um so yeah uh the games they look great they do uh the big one would probably be among us vr which, as the name implies, is an immersive 3D virtual reality version of the extremely popular top-down 2D game where you and your friends try to figure out who's the imposter. Sus. Uh, <laughs> this looks like a very faithful adaptation of something low-tech into something high-tech, which pre- preserves what made the original so fun while also completely changing how the player experiences the game. You can look into the vent, and you can see them crawling around in the vent. That's awesome. And, and when you point, you, you accuse them by gesturing a which, point. 
this is another step, much like, you know, the VR chat, in actually bridging that gap of just, like, being in a world and being like, wow, this is cool, and actually doing what VR, uh, you know, evangelicals want you to do, which is becoming social yeah. in the experience. Because it's it's really hard to be like, hey, do you want to play some games? Oh, you don't have a VR headset? Yeah. Like, the... the uh, the percentage of that actually happening in real life is pretty low. So these experiences are actually great in moving it forward in that direction. Yeah. So. Uh, also, other great-looking games from the meta event include a Ghostbusters game that looks like sort of a cross between Phasmophobia and Left 4 Dead. Oh, they're going to make you play as a girl Ghostbuster, though. Yeah, they're make you wear a dress. <laughs> yeah. make you be the SNL girls. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. Uh, probably not. You but, can probably play uh, whatever you want. And this is, I think there's another Ghostbusters game that's also in development, or maybe this is the same one. I don't know. But it's, yeah, you're like ghost hunting with different tools, and then you're trying to shoot the ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also uh, an NFL game. This is actually pretty interesting. So it puts the player in the quarterback's shoes and lets you run plays in first person. Oh, you think it's so easy? Why don't you put the VR I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, this looks kind of awesome. There's like... There's parts of it where it looks like you as the player actually run on the field, which seems like a recipe for yeah. disaster. Um, so I don't know how that that's going to work. Yeah. Um, there's a Walking Dead shooter, a Resident Evil shooter, and a, uh, for me, a VR city building game that makes you feel like you're playing God. You'll look like Shrek in that filter, just stomping over cities. Yeah. Rawr. Yeah, this is exactly my shit. Uh, did you see they di- also did some new... Uh, I don't know if it's released yet, but they're doing an update to the finger tracking technology in oh. the Quest things. You can, like, uh, there's, like, haptic feedback for high fives now. Oh. Uh, the finger tracking is better because before it's kind of just, like, no, like there's this. like There's actual sensors that can tell, like, yeah. the position of your fingers. Yeah. Uh, it, works, pretty cool. it works pretty well. Yeah. So, yeah, VR gaming has always had this sort of endless problem of not enough studios wanting to devote as much time and money to developing games because not enough people were playing the games. Because there aren't enough good, easy-to-use games out there. So a company like Meta continuing to just throw their money <laughs> at uh, VR yeah. uh, so that there's more players and more developers, that is, it's a good thing. It's just unfortunate that it's all in the service of getting Mark Zuckerberg even richer and more powerful off of a long-term plan for the company that uh, really nobody is jazzed about at all. Yeah, I mean, and you can tell that like, the games are like secondary. They're just like... Have you seen Horizon Worlds or whatever the fuck it's called? Get your games, but then come hang out in the uh, virtual lounge. Yeah. So, there you go. Uh, Speaking of evil companies, though, whether you think crypto companies are as evil as Facebook probably depends on how many coins you're hodling. But this week, the cryptocurrency exchange Binance did something so bafflingly evil, (laughs) and apparently completely by accident, that you gotta wonder if anyone at Binance is even paying attention at all. In short, they unveiled a new logo that's Literally a swastika. Literally uh, a fucking swastika. Here's Coindesk. Binance unveiled its new Twitter emoji Wednesday and soon took it down after users pointed out its resemblance to a swastika. The emoji, known as a hash flag in Twitter parlance, shared a resemblance with the Hindu swastika, a sign of good luck, but perhaps chiefly known in the Western world for its infamous appropriation by the Nazi party. After responses of shock over the new branding, Binance deleted its tweets with the emoji, as did CEO Changpen Zhao, in a tweet, the exchange said a different hash flag would roll out imminently. Whoops. Hey, it happens. And How yeah, could we have known? I mean, look, that definitely resembles a swastika. Not super closely, but the key elements 
of what makes a swastika are definitely all there. And yeah, uh, yeah, the, the swastika's been around forever. The basic shape of the swastika has shown up in symbols throughout history and across many different cultures. It was even popular, weirdly, as a uh, U.S. sports team logo up until Hitler and the Nazi party uh, ruined it for everyone. But there's a lot of weird pictures out there of like high school basketball teams in the 1920s all just decked out in swastikas. If social media existed back then, there'd be a bunch of those teams purists online being like, this is, this, the team did it first! Yeah. Uh, it's history, yeah. and you can't get rid of it. Why are they trying to cancel the swastika? Oh, now they have the baseball team's called the Guardians now? Yeah. <laughs> so, look. You know, I guess honest mistake here. I mean, Binance probably wasn't thinking about Hitler when they designed that thing um, and deployed it publicly to the internet. Except, uh-oh, as many pointed out, uh, April 20th, the day that they revealed the logo, happens to be, uh, in addition to 420... Adolf Hitler's birthday. So there was a 1 in 365 chance that uh, that would happen. And uh, very unfortunate coincidence. Quite a yikes. This would have never happened if they hadn't torn down all those Hitler statues across the I world. I know, we forgot. <laughs> Everyone, Everyone forgot. forgot. Yeah. When they blew up that giant swastika on top of that building in uh, Germany. They should have left it. Yeah, everyone was like, what? As a reminder. Wait, hold on, I forgot what it looked like. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm going to accidentally make that same symbol in 90 years mm-hmm. on something called a social media network. Oops. For my cryptocurrency company. But in a bigger yikes than that, once words started going around about Binance's new swastika logo, people dug up this old tweet from 2017, which, alongside the whole swastika logo on Hitler's birthday thing, it does raise some eyebrows. The text on the image, uh, it reads, Binance distributes gas again. And in the background, there's a gold six-pointed star. Uh, you know, apparently gas is a cryptocurrency token, uh, G-A-S. But uh, yeah, I mean, you could certainly read that as a veiled Holocaust reference. Anyways, Binance quickly claimed ignorance on the swastika emoji with a tweet saying, well, that was obviously really embarrassing. We're not sure how that emoji got through several layers of review without anyone noticing, but we immediately flagged the issue, pulled it down, and the new emoji design is being rolled out as we speak. Okay. All right. Just, just don't try your best not to accidentally do some Nazi shit again. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, just have a little Jew review for everything you put out. Any big decision you're making, just show it to a Jew and say, how's that look? How's it look to you? Yeah. Did we miss anything? Yeah. Oh. Like Nathan Fielder did when he designed his new yeah. outerwear company. Oh, you're right. A six-pointed gold star does... Conjure images of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. We should, uh, I'm glad we had you on our staff to point that out. But if it was like Nathan for you, they would say, we need to lean into it harder to educate people. Yeah. <laughs> Six million died. <laughs> That's what they need to do. Uh, anyways, we've got more news for you coming right up. But it's time to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've all learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you first hear that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, you might think, hey, what's the the catch, buddy? But that's just the thing. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for the whole family. And at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. 
Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get a premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com newsday. That is mintmobile.com newsday. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com newsday. All right, let's get back into the news now with an update to a pretty unexpected story from earlier this week. A federal judge in Florida striking down the CDC's mask mandate for airplanes and public transit. Woo! (laughs) Take that! Obama! Yeah, take... Obama's mask mandate is going on for too long. (laughs) No, but yeah, trash trains are coming around. Like, I actually had a a real conversation with a friend who, um, they just had a child... Uh, within the past year, and they are taking it, of all places, to Florida to see family. Uh, just so happened, they booked their trip like the day after the mask mandate got removed. So they have an infant that has to fly on a plane now. It's just like, Ooh. I was like, look, oh, unfortunate timing, good luck out there. But you have a child, so I would hope that the people around you would understand and maybe be nice about it. But you're also flying to Florida. Yeah, I mean... The whole situation is dangerous for your child's health, but what are you going to do? So just a, you, just a personal anecdote about really, why this really is also a weird idea. Yeah. yeah. So the news was so unexpected that many travelers found out about it while on their planes from the flight crew on the plane, which looks like it was a joyful moment for many passengers, but probably not so joyful for the immunocompromised passengers on board who probably wish they'd packed in extra N95 to double up with. Or people with babies. Yeah, exactly. Who can't get vaccinated. And aren't going to wear a mask. You try putting a mask on this thing. Yeah. But uh, as you might guess, a random federal judge suddenly changing uh, CDC policy isn't something the CDC is going to take lying down. So this is, this is definitely not over. Uh, here's Ars Technica. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention decided to appeal a Florida judge's ruling Monday that abruptly vacated the federal travel mask mandate. The Department of Justice said Tuesday that it would appeal the ruling if the CDC determined that the mask mandate was still necessary. In a media statement late Wednesday afternoon, the CDC said it determined that masks are necessary and told the DOJ to proceed with the appeal. Quote, it is CDC's continuing assessment that at this time an order requiring masking in the indoor transportation corridor remains necessary for the public health. The statement said, CDC will continue to monitor public health conditions to determine whether such an order remains necessary. CDC believes this is a lawful order, well within CDC's legal authority, to protect public health, the agency added. DOJ spokesperson Anthony Coley announced in a tweet Wednesday evening that in light of the CDC's decision, the DOJ filed a notice of appeal in the case. So for now, the CDC is still touting the benefits of wearing masks in crowded and or poorly ventilated locations like airplanes, airports, public transit, but all they can do is recommend it. As for how the appeals process will go, it's uncertain. The Florida judge's ruling was basically that the CDC lacked the authority to mandate masks, and that's something the federal government disagrees with, and something that also has much wider implications for the CDC's authority. But the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, where this will be argued, is full of Republican-appointed judges, and if the CDC and the DOJ lose their appeal, that could actually make the CDC's authority on health matters even weaker for the foreseeable future. Yeah, sounds like a bit of a gamble. Mm-hmm. And, um... Yeah, that's uh, this is the legacy of uh, Trump and before Trump, Bush. Uh, Repo- Trump appointed the judge that overturned the yeah. the mask mandate. Republicans, I don't know why Democrats don't understand this, but um, controlling the courts is has been the Republican strategy for like thirty years now. They appoint judges as quickly. No, as that's many real work. We operate on positive vibes. And uh, yeah, 
like I think there's still a bunch of vacancies that Biden hasn't filled. It's uh, I don't know what's up with that, but uh, these people are appointed for life. Basically, it's very hard to get them out of the job. So you want to you want to get with what limited time you have in power. You want to uh, get as many of your people on the court as possible. Otherwise, you end up with uh, <laughs> what the Republicans do is they import they appoint someone who's like 29 years old and going to die in like 100 years uh, and and has been re- received like an F rating from the Bar Association as a judge. And it's like, ain't nothing you can do about it unless they do something extremely unethical. Oh, you're ageist now? Yeah. Anyway, meanwhile, uh, it turns out actually a lot of people, regardless of what the CDC is allowed to mandate, do plan on continuing to mask up in crowded places. And a majority actually favors mask mandates on planes and public transit continuing. A lot of... Uh... A lot of uh, public transit drivers are extremely upset about this. Yeah, uh, I think it was uh, bus drivers, like, very disproportionately were just, like, dropping dead of COVID before the vaccine. So, yeah, despite being much louder about how they feel about masks, the anti-mask-on-planes people are actually in the minority, and it's not even close. Uh, This information comes to us via new polling from the Associated Press and National Opinion Research Center, which looked at this issue from multiple angles and broke down the results along various demographic lines. So let's take a look. First up, we've got, do you favor or oppose requiring these people to wear face masks? With 56% favoring people traveling on airplanes, trains, and other types of transportation, 20% neither favoring nor opposing, and just 24% opposing. So literally more than twice as many people are in favor of masking on planes and against it. And aside from transportation, they also asked about people at crowded public events like concerts and sports games and workers who interact with the public at restaurants and stores. And in both cases, 49, 49% said they favored those people being required to wear masks, while 28% oppose it for events and 27% oppose it for workers. Uh, this is all kind of surprising, but what's also surprising is that between one-fourth and one-fifth of the population has no strong opinion on any of this, even after more than two years of the pandemic. I envy those people. I don't know, whatever. Whatever, it's, not, it's really not a big fucking deal. I'll wear it or I won't wear it. Who cares? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to that category at this point, I guess. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's definitely like uh, for planes and stuff, like yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But like, especially in, in bathrooms. Anytime I see someone not wearing a mask in a public bathroom, I'm like, all right, piss huffer. Yeah. You love p- huff and piss. Yeah. How do my farts taste? You're breathing in my piss. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another chart breaks down these responses on political lines and. As you would have guessed, Democrats strongly support masking requirements all in all three scenarios, while Republicans do not. Though it is kind of surprising that fully one-third of Republicans support airplane mask mandates. They're just quiet about it. Uh, they also break down the responses by age, or at least into the categories of 18 to 59 and 60 plus. And it's, again, kind of surprising to see that older people favor mask mandates much, much more than people under 60, with the 60-plus people supporting airplane masking at 21 percentage points higher than the 59 and unders. They are, of course, the most at-risk group for developing serious complications from COVID even after being vaccinated. Uh, but, you know, after seeing so many anti-mask boomers throughout the pandemic, it, it's easy to forget that a lot of them actually do uh, have, uh, you know, a good handle on uh, their mortality. Yeah. Well, <laughs> also, their they're aware of, like, even COVID aside, getting sick on an airplane is yeah. not going to be great for them. Yeah, and getting any sort of illness is going to be harder when you're old. on your body yeah. when you're old. The poll's final chart might be the most interesting breakdown, though. Uh, asked, 
Do you favor or oppose requiring employees working in person at your workplace to wear face masks? Uh, the overall results break down almost perfectly to one-third favor, one-third oppose, and one-third neither favor nor oppose. <laughs> uh, it's honestly crazy how cleanly the sentiments toward masking and work breaks down, and all of these results are surprising given it's now been a few months since the last big COVID outbreak had hospitals filling up. But, I mean, yeah, it seems like we are definitely not alone in the sentiment that breathing other people's unfiltered air on planes is a disgusting practice that we have no desire to return to. So... Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, like, uh, so in L.A., it's been like a month now since uh, retail, and I, I think even restaurants. I don't know. Is it, are restaurants, they still have to wear masks? I have no idea. I don't go to I don't go restaurants. Anyway, anymore. yeah. Like, it's now, in most places, it's up to the employee. And it has been, like, pretty much, like, 50-50. Um, a lot of people not wearing them. A lot of people still wearing them. I'm trying to think of like a breakdown that I have experienced. Like I go to a, a local independent coffee shop and they don't wear them there. Uh, if I have to go to Starbucks in a pinch, Starbucks is wearing them. I think it's maybe a corporate I thing. I think that might be company policy. Yeah. And that's another thing with the airplanes. Like, I don't know if any of the airlines have decided it's worth it to keep their private mandates in place because they absolutely could. But uh, it's like, why would you bother? Because you know... There's going to be issues. With. Someone's going to show up and be like, but the, state, the, the judge in Florida said I don't have to wear a mask. And they're like, well, you, we are a private company. We can we can ask you to wear a mask all we want. We can uh, kick you off for not wearing one. Dodger Stadium, surprisingly very low amount of mask wearing. Kids have them on. Uh, bathrooms, higher percentage. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Outdoor, meh. I mean, when you're in your seat, you're probably fine. It's just like, that sort of crunch. Yeah, the crunch of the concourse. Dog. I always get like I, I always get there like so early anyway when yeah. like no one's there, so I just uh, chill for the whole, the time. But uh, yeah, haven't done like a big indoor concert or anything, so no experience there. Tried to go to Deftones last night. Tickets were like three hundred dollars. Get out of here. Boo. I love I love the Deftones. Was very excited to see Gojira, but it's a little it's a little ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, that's our show. Uh, if you haven't already seen our most recent episodes. We got one about uh, Alex Jones and Infowars are fucking bankrupt. Yeah. Oh, R.I.P. Bozo. Smoking that Alex Jones pack. Yeah. They'll probably be fine, though. And then uh, episode of Weekly Weird News about uh, QAnon just turning into a multi-level marketing scam now. Can you believe it didn't happen sooner? Wow. Check both those out. Subscribe to the channel, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.